know, my son is getting older and we're approaching the time where we're gonna have to have the talk. I mean, there's a real battle going on out there for the hearts and minds of our children. We decided to be more proactive and intentional with our daughter. My father instilled in me this passion and his father before him. I feel tremendous pressure to get this right. All you can hope for is that they remember everything they were taught. It's important to start young when building a foundation. So when the hard times hit, they won't stray. They will remain faithful. It's never too early to introduce your kids to your favorite sports team. We live in Dallas, so a lot of the kids on the playground are cowboy fans. We're going to try to keep her cowboy free as long as possible. I had her yelling Lakers when she was still in the womb. This is a legacy that I want to pass down to my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, my great-grandkids, grandkids, you know, if the world still exists. There are a few very important things that he needs to know before growing up. One, that Michael Jordan is the best to ever play the game, hands down. I don't want my son to grow up in a world where LeBron James is the greatest of all time. I mean, six championships in the discussion. Cowboys cheat, the Cowboys killed Spongebob, whatever it takes to get this idea out of her head that the Cowboys are cool, I will do it. If it means dressing up like a cowboy and scaring her in the middle of the night with a chainsaw, I will do it. I don't want to have to force it on her, but let's face it, I'm going to have to. It's the Royals we're talking about. I have a daughter, but hey, who said it was going to be easy? It's all about being intentional. All you have to do is plant the seed. As a Red Sox fan, I, I really want to teach him. Hey, Dad, Mom needs you downstairs. You know, I, I didn't start early enough with that one. I wish I had. Could I accept my son liking another team besides mine? No, I couldn't. Does that make me a bad father? No, it makes me a great father. True. Um... You can tell what's important to someone. If you spend any time with them, you can listen to the things that they say. You see how they spend their time. You see how they spend their money. And it's easy to put those things together and say, okay, that's what's important to this person. And the more time you spend around someone, the more you can tell what's important to them. Just a few weeks ago, there was, in our, I guess, millions of people embarked on a journey to pass on to the next generation a love and an importance of something uh, that we hadn't seen in a few years. And people gathered and people came in community to experience together for the next time. Star Wars. That's right. Now, I grew up a Star Wars fan. I had... Okay, I'm going to be honest. I have Star Wars action figures... I still have the Darth Vader carrying case for my Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. I'm getting some fist pumps out there, man. I like y'all better than first service. Don't tell them I said that. But I still have that carrying case. I still have my Millennium Falcon that I would have taken much better care of had I known how much it would be worth now as opposed to when I was six or seven years old, right? So I still had all those things, and I loved Star Wars. Well, now a new generation is learning to love Star Wars. In fact, over the holidays, I saw, and even before uh, the holidays, I saw on on social media everywhere, people were binge-watching the earlier Star Wars movies. Even this summer, our youth ministry did a day where we just watched all of the Star Wars movies in preparation for 
the newest one for The Force Awakens and for the new generation of Star Wars. And George Lucas in an interview said one of his goals is to create generations of Star Wars lovers, to pass the love of Star Wars on from generation to generation. And the plan, and I think this is genius, wasn't just to do one, but it was to do a trilogy. And then it wasn't just to do one trilogy, but two or three trilogies. And guess what? As long as they're making films, they're going to make Star Wars films and Star Wars trilogies on into the future. Now, this one's a different film than the original ones that everybody or most people grew up loving. And this one has some of the old characters, but for the most part, there's the focus of moving into the future with the new characters. There's connections to old storylines, but for the most part, what they're wanting to do is move into the future with new storylines. But yet, the love of Star Wars is passed on. And Star Wars is now a generational experience. And it will be for generations to come. Faith is also a generational experience. Don't believe me? Let's see what the psalmist says in Psalm 145. In verse 4, it says, One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. So you have the psalmist saying, Generations tell the next generation about the mighty acts of God. And he goes on in that to continue saying, all of the works of your hand proclaim your name, and you are praised, God. And then in verse 13, it comes to this next point. It says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. Faith has a generational component. And in the culture we live in, things are very individualistic. We're taught to own our own faith, and that's a good thing. That's what we want for our kids. That's what we want for our people is to get to a place where you own your own faith. But having your own faith and doing faith on your own are two completely different things. Think about the Old Testament. When Noah and his family come out of the ark, and there's the rainbow in the sky that God places there as a reminder to them of his covenant, not just for Noah and his family, but for all generations. It says that in Scripture. And you have Abraham, who God says, your descendants are going to number the stars in the sky. And your people, these will be my people. And I make this covenant with you for all generations. When you think about the Israelites coming out of Egypt and the story of the slavery that they had experienced, and they have to wander around in the wilderness, and they finally get into the promised land, and God tells them, participate in these acts of celebration. Celebrate these festivals together so that you remember and so that you pass the story on through all generations. There is a generational component to our faith that if we don't pay attention to, it's easy to miss and get caught up in our individualistic piece of faith. Now, not everything gets passed on from generation to generation, right? I mean, there's so many things. If you make a list of all the things you want to pass on to your kids, some of them are going to take and some of them aren't. But what we want to get passed on and what Scripture calls us to pass on is the first importance. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 15. It'll be on the screen here if you want to read along. But Paul is talking to the Corinthians here. And remember, at this time, Christianity is still a relatively new movement. So people are figuring out, you know, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to live this life of the Christian 
Paul reminds them here in this letter. He says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And this is what he passed on that was first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. In verse 3, going back again, I want to read it again. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, what coaches will tell you or what teachers will tell you is if you want somebody to remember something, you have to teach the most important thing first. And Paul here is saying, okay, there's, there are a lot of things I've passed on to you. But remember the thing I passed on to you of first importance, the very first thing I told you about. That's the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus. And think about this. In life, we talk about the priorities we have, but you know what? There can only be one first priority, right? You cannot have multiple first priorities. You can have multiple priorities, but you cannot have multiple first priorities. So Paul is saying this is the first priority. This is the first importance. And when I think about passing this on, I think about the idea of a baton and a relay race. I've got a helper this morning that's going to come help me. We're not going to run a race because we're not, uh, well, I'm not very good at running. So, but my oldest daughter, Morgan, for those of you that don't know her. So if Morgan and I were to run a relay race this morning, she would be ahead of me. Let's say she's running the next anchor. She would be ahead of me, and I would come running because that's what you do in a race. You run, and there's a certain place on the track where you have to make that handoff happen. And so I would come, and she would be ready with her hand out there, and I would make sure, boom, that she gets that baton and takes off running and hangs on to that because the handoff is important. And when we're handing off faith, it is important for me to make sure that I pass on the first priority, the first importance of Jesus to her and to her sister and to their generation. So thank you for doing this. You can sit down, Morgan. Um, yes. The handoff is incredibly important. Don't believe me on that? Any of you remember the 2008 Summer Olympics? The U.S. men's and women's 4x100 relay team, made up of some of the most incredible athletes on the planet. And they're expected to compete for gold. But in the prelims, on the very same day in August, on the very same track, both of them, as they're running their races, as they're running the relay, drop the baton and are disqualified and never even make it to the finals, never even get an opportunity to run for gold, all because they dropped the baton. They ran. They were in the space they were supposed to make the pass. They did everything technically correct, but they missed 
the handoff and they dropped the baton and they were disqualified. We want to pass on the first importance, but we also have to make sure that the handoff gets happened uh, in, a, in a way that helps the next generation. So throughout history, the how of the handoff changes. Things change. But the first importance has always remained the same. Think about the bicycle for just a minute. We've got a couple up here. The bicycle was invented uh, in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And the very first bicycle actually had no pedals. So two wheels, no pedals. And I think we got a picture of it. Yeah, right here. This is kind of what it looked like. So it was, considered more, uh, it was considered more of a running machine. But the truth remained that whether you walked or ran, getting on this bicycle without pedals would still get you from point A to point B faster. And that was the whole purpose of the bicycle. That was its first priority. Well, as time went on, uh, they learned new things, and technology changed, and they, they decided to add pedals. And they decided, and they realized, some of you have seen pictures of this before. I would love to see one of these in real life sometimes. So if you have one or know where I could see one, I think it would be cool. So if you had, so, th- so they figured out that a bigger wheel up front and a smaller wheel in the back could actually make you go faster um, at that time in the way that it was set up at that time, and a lighter frame. And if you had legs long enough to get on this thing, then you could actually ride this bike from point A to point B. Well, as time went on, they figured out new things. And it was considered, at this time, it was considered kind of a reckless thing to do, to get on a bicycle like crazy, right? Well, then they, they created the safety bicycle. And this was the beginning of everyone being able to ride the bicycle. Men, women, kids started riding these bicycles. And it became a cool thing to do. And it looked different than the one before. And as time goes on, we've got some other pictures here. You might identify with some of these. You might have had some of these bikes before. We've got the couple up here. But as time went on, technology changed. And rider knowledge and expertise changed. And what people wanted to do with a bicycle changed. And so they created BMX bikes and mountain bikes and road bikes and racing bikes. But the purpose of the bicycle has never changed. The purpose of the bicycle has always been and always will be to get someone from point A to point B faster than they can walk or run, right? Things change, but the first importance always remains the same. And just like the bicycle, it's similar with faith. Throughout time, the look, the experience has changed, but the first importance never has. Think about the early Christians. They had to go worship in the catacombs. They had to worship in graveyards and dungeons, and they had to do it quietly because it wasn't safe for them to be out in public worshiping. And then you get to the Middle Ages and and the creation of of monasteries and and of convents and this mysticism, this mystery of faith that people embraced and moved into. And it looked different than the worship in the catacombs. And then generations later, the Enlightenment, and all of a sudden we're, we're creating proofs and we're doing apologetics and we're looking at scientific method and all these things to prove God. And now we're in what's being called the postmodern era and we're still just on the cusp of that and we're learning and we're figuring out what this era is, what this generation, these future generations are going to be. And right now, the way it's looking is what's true for me is true, what's true for you is true, what's true for you is true, and it doesn't have to match up, and there's really no absolute truth, so just enjoy your own truth and keep it to yourself and live in that way. 
And we're going to have to learn in a new time, in a new age, how to pass that faith on. Think about it in your own life. I know there are some here who probably didn't grow up in church, but I know there are a lot of us that did. I, I did grow up in church. I grew up at the Lindale Church of Christ in Houston. In fact, you can see that building today. If you get on 75 and just go south when it turns into 45, for about five hours, it will end up, you will pass it on your left. And every Sunday, my family would go there, and I remember what it looked like when I walked in. I remember walking into the, to the big auditorium and how the building sank down to the left for some reason. And so nobody went down the left side. Everybody went toward the right. I remember the people that would stand there and greet us as we would come in. I remember the experiences that I had in that building. And then as I got older, into, into middle school and high school, we went to a different church that had a youth ministry because that church didn't. It was, it was shrinking, and, and so uh, we chose a different church. And I remember the people and the experiences there. And back then, when I was a kid, we dressed a little bit differently for church most of the time. I, I'll be honest, I like dressing a little more casual. It feels more comfortable. But back then, men would wear suits and ties. Women and girls would wear dresses. And as a little boy, I didn't always have to wear a suit and tie, but i got to be honest, I was super cute in my powder blue suit at age five. So every once in a while, we had to break that out, Easter and other times, because you dressed up for church. I remember, um, or now we have a worship leader. Adam does a great job of coordinating uh, the things that happen during our worship so that we can be brought closer together and closer to God in our worship. But back then, we had a song leader. And the song leader would get up and he would open. Oh, we didn't use, we didn't use PowerPoint. There wasn't PowerPoint. We didn't, have, we didn't mess with computers. We had song books, great songs of the church. And we'd open up great songs of the church and sing songs like Love Lifted Me. And the song leader would wave his hands. And that just told me, okay, it must be time to sing. And I sang. And I liked it. And it was good. And that's how we did things back then. Now when we greet one another, we just call each other by our first name. Or maybe, you know, we call Colin, Colin, as our preacher. Maybe the little kids call him Mr. Colin. Back then, what did we say? Hello, Brother Packer. And I'm just going to throw this out here right now. You would greatly make my day, my week, my month, if you today or sometime in the next couple of weeks would address him as Brother Packer. Okay? Please do that for me. All right? I just want to follow him around and listen to people say that. Hello, Brother Packer. Make it very formal, too, when you do it. But that's how we address each other, brother and sister so-and-so. Times change. Things change. But I can tell you, in every church I've been a part of, the first importance has always been Jesus. The first importance always remains the same. When I look back on those churches I grew up in, there's so many good things. And at the same time, there are things I would have done differently. Or I wish they had done differently, maybe. I remember in fifth grade, so you saw Morgan a minute ago. Morgan's in fifth grade. I remember being in fifth grade Bible class. And um, Betty Grenand, Sister Grenand, was our teacher. And she was a sweet, loving woman. She was a grandmother. Her grandson was my age and was a friend of mine in that class. And one morning, Sister Grenand said, we're going to watch a film strip for class this morning. That got everyone excited because, ooh, we don't have to listen to the teacher. We get to watch a film strip. And for those of you that are kids, you can ask your parents when you get home what a film strip is. So, so we watched this film strip, 
and it comes up, and it's, it's about a milkman. That tells you how old the film strip was, because I've never met a milkman in my life. But it's about a milkman and his family. And, it's, and uh, he has this, just this sweet little family. It's he and his wife and his two kids. And it shows them just loving life. But on Sunday, the milkman's wife and kids go to church. The milkman doesn't. Well, then Monday comes around, and they send the kids off on the bus, and everything's great. And he goes out to make his milk deliveries around the neighborhood and smiles as he goes. And all of a sudden, judgment hits, and fire starts raining down. And the next thing you know, the milkman's family is in one line to go to heaven, and the milkman's in another line to go to hell. And as the lights come up and the film strip ends, you have a room full of fifth graders. And Sister Grenan says, now who wants to talk about being baptized? (laughs) Right now. Right now, please. Thankfully, my mom had a better attitude about or a different picture of this, and so she talked me out of it. And um, after, after a couple of weeks of nightmares, I was good and ready to go again. I'm not going to lie, that was probably the worst, my worst church experience in my life. I still have issues over that, to be honest with you. And I would never, we would never, ever, ever do that here. I'm telling you right now, we will never do that here. All right? I make that commitment. If I see a film, we probably won't show a film strip here to begin with. But we wouldn't think about doing that today. But back then, that's the way that they did things. And I remember in middle school when a buddy of mine wore a T-shirt to church that said something, it was a Christian T-shirt but it said something provocative on it. There, there was kind of this time in there where people would wear these shirts that had like this shocking saying, and then on the back it would have a Bible verse. Well, he wore one of these to church, and I remember an older gentleman in our, in our church who sees him with this shirt on going up to him and putting his finger in the middle of my friend Robert's chest and saying, you will never wear that shirt to this church again. Not the best experience. And I look back on those and I say, man, I kind of wish those things had been done differently. But at the same time, Sister Grenand, what a loving woman who outside of that film strip spent weeks and years of her life teaching us about the Bible and loving us. And so you know what? Forget the film strip. I learned some of what it means to follow Jesus by being around her. And forget the fact that this other gentleman got upset about my friend's t-shirt because I learned a lot of things about following Jesus from that man. And if you think back to your past, your past church experiences, you probably have some of those. I want to encourage you today. I want to challenge you today. If you haven't already done so, let some of those go. Let some of that baggage of the past Go, so that you can enjoy what God has for you in the present and moving forward. So yeah, there are things I wish had been different. There are things now that I see and I believe differently. But when I think about those people, Sister Grenand, this gentleman, when I think about Brother Carl Partain standing by the glass doors at the entrance 
to our church building at Lindale every Sunday with packs and packs of juicy fruit gum that made me think church tastes like juicy fruit gum, I get a big smile on my face. Or when I think about Mary Alcorn when I was in middle school and high school, who at 76 years old decided she was going to go on the youth mission trip. And the first year she went, we're looking at each other saying, oh man, how's this going to go? And the next year, everybody looked around and said, hey, is Mary going? And She went with us for like four or five years. I think about people like that. And I think about those churches, and I can tell you that without those people, without those churches, I wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be here today. And their legacy continues. And that legacy is the message of Christ as first priority. And it's given to us through them, through the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Now our culture tends to either memorialize and fossilize the past or dismiss the past. But we are part of a living past that God has used to shape us and to bring us into a place that faith may continue now and into the future. Knowing that things change. But the first importance always remains the same. Just very quickly, in in Deuteronomy 6, you have the Shema, um, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. Well, a little bit later in that passage, in verses 20 and 21, you have this exchange between a son and his parents. And it says in this question, in the future when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our, our God has commanded you? So for him, it's about you. It's not, it's not my story. It's not a part of me. It's, it's you. It's the past. Tell him, and here's the answer. Notice their answer. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. See, the son here is trying to distance himself from the past, but the parents in their answer are including the child in the past. The next generation is not exempt from the past, but connected to the past. We are all a part of a greater story, the story of God. And we is greater than me. It is this story, the story of God given to us in Scripture that draws the generations of faith together. And it's the first priority, the first importance, Jesus, the gospel message. Jesus who gives hope purpose, and life in which all generations share. We need the different generations in this church and in the kingdom. We need young and old and in between. And I realize age is, a, age is a matter of mind, right? Let's go with that. Age is a matter of mind. But we need all generations, young, old, everyone in between, coming together with the purpose of loving God and neighbor, with the purpose of living out truth and the first importance that is Jesus So I want to talk to a couple of groups uh, that are in the room right now. First, I want to talk to the older generation. And I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for your faithfulness to God and to the church. I want to say thank you for the way that you've continued to invest in others, in families of this church, and I see it every Sunday as I walk through the hall in Bible classes and greeters and so many different roles that people play up on the stage in different ways. Thank you for that. And I want you to know you have a role to play in this church. 
and in the kingdom of handing down, of handing on that which is of first importance to our kids, to other adults, to this community. We need your wisdom that you've gained through experience and learning and study. We need your stories. We want to listen to your stories. Your stories teach us. Your stories shape us. Your stories make us laugh. I'll be honest, sometimes your stories may make us roll our eyes. We need to hear those stories. And in a culture that increasingly doesn't value or respect our older generations as churches and as families, I want to tell you this morning, at Greenville Oaks, we are committed to showing you the value and the respect that you deserve. We are committed to seeing you as part of, not the past, but as part of the present and the future of what God has to offer at Greenville Oaks and beyond these walls. And so thank you. We want you to know that we love you. I want to talk to the younger generation of the church for just a minute. To our elementary kids, our middle school kids, our high school kids, college students, young adults who are just finishing up college and heading out for that first job. I want you to know that you have a place in this community. You have a place in this church as well. We need you. You have a perspective on things that as adults we just don't have. And you see things that we just can't see. And we need you to tell us those things. We need you to talk to us and we need to listen to you just as you need to listen to the elders and to the older people of this church. We need your passion and your energy to infuse us and your excitement to help drive us beyond these walls to reach people in the name of Jesus. Because you're in places that we just can't go. We need that from you. We need your stories too. You have stories to share. We need to hear those and we want you to share those with us. So I want to say thank you to you also. I want to say thank you to our kids, to our students for striving to live lives to follow Jesus in a place that's difficult to do that as you go to school or with groups of friends where there aren't adults around sometimes. Places that are hard and in a time in your life where you are still learning and figuring out who you are and who God made you to be. I want to say thank you for that and thank you for being a part of this with us. And I want to tell you, we at Greenville Oaks are committed to doing everything it takes, everything we can to helping see that you're involved in real ministry and real work in the kingdom and to helping see that you have a real place in this church and to helping you see what it means to follow Jesus so that you can follow Jesus the rest of your life. See, each individual in each generation will leave a legacy. So what will yours be? What will your generation's legacy be here at Greenville Oaks? What will your legacy be in your homes? Or in your neighborhoods? Or in Collin County? Or throughout the world, what is our legacy going to be? See, if we want to have an impact in the present and a vision for the future, then we need to remember and learn from and be grateful for our past. To take the good things 
they've given us because they've given us so many good things. And to take that which is of first importance, Jesus, the gospel message, and continue to teach it and live it out. So generations of sports fans will continue to pass on the love of their favorite sports team. Hollywood will keep making scripts, and they're going to keep finding generations of Star Wars enthusiasts for the future. And at Greenville Oaks, we want to continue to leave a legacy of followers of Jesus. And to do that, it takes all of us. Father, when Jesus said, may they all be one, that's a big thing. Father, may we live that out here at Greenville Oaks in the best ways that we know how. But Father, may we be bold enough to cross generational lines. May we look at that elder in our church as made in the image of God. May we look at that kid, at that four-year-old in our church, and that middle school kid, and that college student that shows up, and that parent as made in the image of God. May we see each generation as created in the image of God. And as we cross those lines, may we learn things, not just about one another, but about you, that drive us to continue in faith, that energize us, that excite us, that cause us to work together to see that faith is passed on to the next generation. And to do that, it takes all generations. May we be a church that loves and appreciates and values our older generations. And may we be a, a church that loves and appreciates and values the younger generations and everything in between. May the world see that we are one through this simple act. May generations of people come to know and follow and love Jesus because of what we do at Greenville Oaks. And we pray this in the name and by the power of Jesus. Amen.